Thanks for the opportunity to do the messages on the visions of Zechariah the prophet from chapter 1-1 to 6-8 of the book of Zechariah. Today we come to the final three visions. What a contrast to the first five visions. The first five visions of the book of Zechariah are of encouragement and hope. They are written to the remnant of 50,000 people who came back from the Babylonian captivity. And these visions are to encourage them to go ahead and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple and eventually the city of Jerusalem. They encourage the people because God is going to bless, and it worked. In the near view, they did get this accomplished in four years. There's also the far view that reaches to the end of time and tells of the great blessing that God is going to give to the people of Israel, the chosen people, the Jews, and the blessing he's going to make them in the end times. And uh, God's going to convert the nation in, in one day, taking away filthy garments and clothing them with royal raiment. Same thing he does for every individual Christian when we trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And then he's going to cause Israel to shine as a light for the world. Same thing he does for the Christian when we, knowing Jesus as our Savior, shine in the power of the Holy Spirit. These first five visions are encouragement. Now these last three visions are visions of judgment. What a contrast. We'll look at all three of these visions today in chapters 5 verse 1 through chapter 6 verse 8. And I'm reminded that Paul in Romans chapter 11 22 speaks of the uh, goodness and severity of God. How good God is, first five visions. How severe he is in dealing with sin. We sometimes don't realize that. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if we face his judgment. Well, let's look at these last three visions and then let's put them all together. The first vision is of the flying scrolls, Zechariah chapter 5, verse 1. Now, this flying scroll, the scrolls usually were wrapped up into one little bundle, and you pull apart the sticks, and uh, then you can read the scroll. We'll see that this scroll is written on both sides, and it's flying. And um, there's a reason for this. We read in verse 1, and I turned, remember Zechariah has all these visions on the same night, eight visions, he sees this sixth vision. I raised up my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. I think we're going to see that this represents the word of God. We'll see that in a few moments. And he said to me, verse 2, that's the interpreting angel at his side, helping him understand. What do you see? So Zechariah interacting with all his visions, he's not asleep, he's having a vision. So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width is 10 cubits. Now that's 15 by 30 feet for us roughly, but precisely 10 and 20 cubits. Now the flying scroll, the flying reminds me that the word of God is living. 
and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The fact that it's uh, 10 cubits by 20 cubits, the exact size of the holy place in the temple and in the tabernacle, shows that uh, God is intensely holy. Now, specifically, this flying scroll represents the Ten Commandments. We see that in verse 3. Then he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall uh, be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to the other side of it. The thief represents the commandment, You shall not steal. The perjurer represents the commandment, You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You'll notice verse 4 uh, explains further, swearing falsely by my name. So, just as there are two tables of, of stones writing the Ten Commandments, so there are two sides of the scroll, each representing one table of stone. The Eighth Commandment is the middle commandment of the one table of stone about uh, the thief. You should not steal. The third commandment is the other side, representing the other side of the stone. You should not take the name of the Lord in vain. So the third and eighth commandment are the middle commandments, representing all the commandments on each stone. And uh, these ten commandments represent the curse, as we read in verse 3 and verse 4. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Curse, verse 3 and verse 4. We're reminded that uh, as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse is, is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do that. You see, when we understand the law of God, we understand we've broken the law of God. If you want to use the law of God to ten commandments lawfully, you use it to convict of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you can't escape this curse of the Ten Commandments. Where would you try to escape? Well, you think you could hide your sins best in your own home. You know, the safety and security of your own house. You can't hide from the law of God. So we read verse 4. I will send out the curse. God is sending forth the curse says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in the midst of his house. How scary that you can't escape the curse of God's law wherever you go. And how devastating the consequences. And it shall consume it with its timber and stones. You cannot escape the wrath of God against sin. What we need to remember is we need the grace of God. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For as it is written, curses everyone who hangs on the tree, Galatians 3.13 says. And so Christ is our solution. He bore our sin. He took the curse. He took the condemnation for our sins so that we could experience the grace of God.
So if you want the goodness of God, instead of the severity of God, you need the Savior God has provided, who died for our sins and rose again from the dead. So let's look at a few lessons from the flying scroll. One is, do not take sin lightly. God often delays in dealing with sin. He waited a long time before the Babylonian captivity. He waited about 40 years after the Jewish people rejected their Messiah in 70 AD when Titus and his army scattered the people to the ends of the earth after killing many. God often delays in dealing with sin. But there's the principle, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And um, God chastens his people whom he loves, he chastens. So the encouragement is not to take sin lightly because God does not take sin lightly. He took it so seriously. He gave his son to be partake of our humanity also to take our sins upon himself. A second lesson, therefore, is do receive God's grace. God's grace is wonderful. You'll never be condemned for your sins if Jesus is your Savior. And there are only two options, the wonderful grace of God or the awesome judgment for our sins. God does deal with sin. Ultimately, he's going to deal with it so very strongly in the end times. So the, first, the sixth vision is the flying scroll. Next vision is the woman in the basket. That's vision seven, beginning chapter five, verse five. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, this is the seventh vision, and he said, Lift up your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, and Zechariah is interacting with the seventh vision, seventh vision again, what is it? And he said, it is a basket or an ephah. Ephah is a little bit bigger than a basket. That is going forth. He said to me, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Now notice, here's a lead disc lifted up, verse 7, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. So it's a basket with a lead disc. You lift up the, the lid, and out pops this woman. Now the woman, we're going to see, represents wickedness. And I am reminded that often a woman does depict sin or false religion in the Bible. For instance, uh, Jezebel brought uh, false religion and idolatry to Israel. And I'm reminded in Revelation chapter 2.20, there was a Jezebel-type woman who brought false religion and immorality to the church in Thyatira. And I'm reminded in the end time, the final form of religion, false religion, is a woman who in Revelation 17 is called Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. And so we read about this woman, verse 8 of chapter 5, and he said, This is wickedness. Now this woman representing false religion in final form of rebellion against God senses judgment is coming. And just like sinners might try to escape in their own home, so uh, she tries to escape by fleeing the basket. 
But in verse 8, we read, And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. But what's going to happen to false religion when it cannot escape in the end times? We read, verse 9, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings. For they had wings like the wings of a stork. Now women don't usually have wings. Wings like a stork. But it's symbolical. And I believe these two women that carry the basket, lifting it up first, are also symbolizing evil. Where are they taking this basket? Where they're taking it where false religion began and rebellion against God began after the flood. So they lift up this basket between heaven and earth, end of verse 9, and we read Zechariah interacting, verse 10, So I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they going carrying the basket? And uh, verse 11, And he, that is the interpreting angel, answers, To build a house for it in the land of Shinar, when it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Where's the basket going? Well, false religion and began in Babylon, which became Babylon in Genesis 11, is going to where false religions ends in Babylon, in Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, political and economical Babylon in Revelation 18, where Babylon rebellion ends against God when God moves mightily in judgment. Now, we know some things about God's judgment in the end time. We know, for instance, that, um, though this doesn't say, it says it's baskets being carried to Babylon. We know that in Revelation 17, ironically and surprisingly, false religion is destroyed in the end time by Antichrist. He's going to take the final form of false religion after the church is taken out of the world. And he's going to destroy the final form of religion as he sets himself up as God. And we know from Revelation 18 that political and economic Babylon is going to be destroyed in the end time by God himself in Revelation 18. So what are the Lessons from Vision 7. One is, we must leave false religion and this false world system. Who are to come out from false religion and from this world system? We're not to love the world or the things that are in the world. We're to be true and faithful to Christ and loyal to him. All the more so because we realize, second lesson, how it's going to end. God's side is going to win. What fools we would be to choose this world system or to identify just to be popular with false religion and false standards of false religion. God's side is surely going to win. And we need to be seen graciously, not stubbornly or meanly, but graciously be seen to be on God's side now. How ashamed we would be 
if we're ashamed to take Jesus' side now, when obviously God's side is winning in the end. That takes us to the final vision in Zechariah, chapter 6. First, God deals with sinners, vision seventh, vision 6. Then he deals with sin in the system, vision 7. Now finally, and I'm stretching this for alliteration, God's going to deal with the soldiers who align against God's side, side in the end time. So the final vision is about war chariots. And we're going to come full circle from the first vision. Do you remember the first vision? Um, Zechariah sees a rider and a red horse. And that rider sends forth to patrol the earth. Riders in red and white and sorrel horses. Well, they patrol the earth in vision one. Now we see the same red, white, and black and and dappled horses in the end time, going over the whole earth. But this time, the angels are sitting not astride the horses, but they're in the war chariots. This time, they're not patrolling the earth simply, but they are taking action. And we're going to see how different this is. So we read in chapter 6, verse 1, Then I looked and raised my eyes, and looked, and behold, four chariots, doesn't say they're war chariots, but we're going to see they are. We're coming from between two mountains. Mountains, I some think, are Mount Olivet and Mount Zion, but they're coming from Israel. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. Bronze, the symbol of judgment. Now, what do they do? Verse 2, with the first chariot were red horses, and with it, that's the color of worship and bloodshed. Uh, by the way, if I forget to say it, these four horses, colors, are the same as the sixth chapter of Revelation, the four horses of the apocalypse, apocalypse that move forward in judgment in the end times. And the second chariot is black horses, the color of famine and death. And verse 3 of chapter 6, and the third chariot, white horses, the color of victory. And with the fourth chariot, dappled horses, strong steeds, the color of plague and death. And so Zechariah wonders, what do these horses represent? Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Verse 5, and the angel answered and said to me, these are the four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of the earth. And so they're sent out in the end times to go out over the whole earth. We need to know that because it seems like they're only going two places in this vision. And so God's going to emphasize they go out over the whole earth, even though he identifies two places where they go in the near view. So we read in verse 5, And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven, angelic spirits in this case, who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. Not just two places we're about to read about. Verse 6. The one with black horses, color of famine and death, are going out to the north country, and the white are going after them. So black and white going to the north country. And the dappled are going to the south country. Keep this in mind. When you're going out of Israel or into Israel, you're either going north or south, generally. 
because to the east you have the Mediterranean, or, or excuse me, to the west you have the Mediterranean Sea, and to the east you have the Arabian Desert. So basically, when you're traveling uh, in chariots or cars, vehicles, tanks, you're going out north and south, north in the near view to and to the east to Babylon, south to Egypt. Uh, but uh, let's read further, verse 7. Then the strong steeds went out eager to go, that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. So emphasize that they're going throughout the earth. And by the way, this is reminiscent of the first vision, where it keeps saying they went to and fro throughout the earth, the four horses. And he said, go walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro Throughout the earth. Repeated just as in the first vision. They're going to and fro. They're going throughout the earth. But this time, not as in chapter 1, where they're patrolling the earth to report back to the rider on the red horse. But this time they're going forth, striding forth in judgment. Verse 8, And he called to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those go out toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. Do you remember the contrast? In vision one, the horses go out to the whole earth. The angelic spirits report to the rider and the red horse, who is the angel of the Lord, a depiction of the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate appearance in the Old Testament. And uh, they report that the nations are at rest. They're at ease. That sounds good, but it's not. Because it's very disturbing to the rider and the red horse. And uh, the Lord says, I am very angry with these nations that are at rest. This time, when these chariots of war go forth, they move forth in judgment, and this time it is not the nations that are at ease. It is God who is at rest and at ease. Verse 8 says, See, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. They have moved forth in judgment. The three visions are God's moving forth in judgment against sinners, against sin in this world system, and against, well, I put it, the soldiers. He's going to the, Revelation 19, finally in Armageddon. The armies of the world gather in Armageddon and turn all their weapons against God. And God moves forward in judgment. And he judges the final form of Babylon, this world system in rebellion against God. Let's take some final lessons from all three visions. The first five visions are of encouragement. God's wonderful promises to the children of Israel of blessing. They will be converted. They'll finally receive their Messiah. Their sins will be wiped out in one day. The filthy garments removed. Glorious clothing for them, just like for us when we trust Jesus as our Savior. And uh, they will be like to the world 
the fifth vision. Just like we shine for God when we go forth, cleansed from sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. The first five visions are blessings of promises to God's chosen people. You'd think that God was through with his people. They kind of think that he is. I mean, a lot of people have lost, Jewish people have lost hope and lost heart. A lot of Jewish atheists nowadays. But in the end time, they will believe in their Messiah and receive his wonderful promises. Many of them will believe. God's going to keep his promises to you. You can count on God's promises. If you just believe God's promises and you just live by faith, you'll see you'll be blessed because God's word is true. Second lesson is these last visions speak of the judgment of God against sinners, against sin, against the system, against soldiers who rebel against God. It's a fearful thing to follow in to the judgment of God. Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And see, you're either going to experience the goodness of God or his severity. The goodness of God is so good when you experience his grace. Let me give you some verses on that. For instance, Ephesians 2, 7 says, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. All the ages to come in eternity of the riches of his grace, including the ages of his kingdom, his kindness. Think of how Titus 3, verses 4 to 7 say it. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, such goodness God is when you experience his grace. Such goodness to us. But how severe God is in dealing with sin, especially in the end times, especially throughout all eternity. Choose his grace. Experience his grace. Praise him for his grace once you've experienced it. Tell others about his grace. Take his side as you live out your life before God. Because you know how it's going to end. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Thank you for helping us to come to know your grace through Jesus, your son. Help us to tell others of his grace that many might come to know the Lord Jesus as personal Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.